Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. We're really happy to have you join us today. We always love serving up great shows with great guests, and today is just that. The guest today, he is a entrepreneur, actor, musician, singer, songwriter, music executive, and I'm talking about the hip-hop artist Lecrae. He is quite the talent with Grammys and Dove Awards to his name. Actually, he won a Grammy with a couple buddies of mine out of L.A., Ricky and Rand Jackson. They have a band called The Daylights. Be sure and check those guys out if you haven't already. But today's interview is a really good one. We get really honest about Lecrae's life, where he came from, what influenced his threeness, a real identity crisis that he hit at the height of his fame therapy and what it's done for him. We cover a lot of ground and we get into his book as well. I'll let Ian roll that out. But I'm so grateful that we have Lecrae on the show. He is a gift to us all and a gift to the artist community. Grateful for him and grateful to have him here. So that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Without any further ado, let's get to the man of the hour, Ian Cron. Lecrae, welcome to Typology. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Enneagram three. The, yes. The performer, the yes. achiever, the person whose uh, attention is riveted on being a success, appearing successful, and avoiding failure at all costs. Got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. We won't have to like search around for your type and, and make sure that it's true, right? Yeah. I thought I was a seven early on, though. I did think I was a seven, but uh, once I, I took it like three or four times, I was like, I'm a three. Yeah. And, and the description sounded like you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Healthy okay. three and unhealthy three. It's all me. All right. Wow. All right. Well, you have uh, a book came out in October, yep. and uh, the title of the book is I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion but found my faith. And I was telling you before we got started, um, you know, as a person does three or four of these a week, right? I, I don't have an opportunity to read every book that a guest has recently put out, right? Mm -hmm. Just time does not make it possible. However, last night and this morning, I downloaded the Kindle version of your memoir, this book, right? Uh, I am restored how I lost my religion, but found my faith. And I read it from cover to cover. I didn't even skim Lecrae. Wow. That's big. Right? Okay. So I want you to tell all future interviewers that the bar is high now. It's done. I'll all make right. sure they know no skimmers allowed. <laughs> That's right. And though that means that I have some questions that I hope are a little deeper than the ones that, uh, let's so do it. Let's have, let's have at it. All right. For the people listening, can you, in, his, in, in a brief way, give us the arc of your story as it's told in the, uh, the book? Yeah. And uh, if, if possible, highlight pieces of it to you that sound like the adventure of a three, right? The life adventure of a three. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would say, you know, ultimately it starts with um, – you know, neglect, abandonment. Um, you know, my dad wasn't around. Uh, my mom worked a lot. I experienced abuse, molestation, 
uh, lots of historical childhood trauma that made me crave acceptance, crave a sense of meaning and purpose and value, um, started to find that I was highly gifted in the arts. And so when I would perform, um, you know, all throughout school, I would be, you know, applauded. And, and I, of course, I was loving that. I was loving that attention and affection. Um, there were other avenues that I, I felt like, hey, maybe I could receive attention and affection here, you know, just running the streets with my friends or getting in trouble and doing things along those lines. But nothing was giving me that sense of, like, I can do something, I could be successful like the arts were. And um, so pursued it, uh, pursued it heavily and, you know, uh, had a spiritual transformation and started incorporating some of those those transformative things into my music and was applauded by people who, you know, uh, appreciated that. Um, but what I didn't understand was that, you know, um, that even in a spiritual realm, there it could be very tribal. And, you know, in, in a religious world, there's a lot of tribal stuff going on. And I didn't realize that people were just as messed up there as everywhere else. And so, you know, got burned and felt like, man, I don't like this, you know, the ridicule. And then, you know, um, I just kept pursuing it, kept pursuing music and stuff kept getting bigger and growing. And I said, oh, well, I'm gonna just keep pushing and find a new tribe. And then maybe there'll be a different tribe over here that will show me that I'm valuable and I'm loved. And um, and eventually it led to a sense of just feeling like I was, um, I don't know, uh, uh, living for everyone else's approval, mm -hmm. uh, living to be identified as successful in those spaces and places. And uh, and my, my boat ran out of gas, man. Mm -hmm. And so I had to start filling that tank up with other things, uh, filling it up with coping mechanisms, alcohol, drugs, um, you know, uh, you name it. It's kind of like, let's, let's find some sense of, 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 you know, uh, coping. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the, the down, the, the downfall, the spiral, I guess, if we got to the, how it, it culminated was I realized that I wasn't, you know, success is not what I do compared to other people It's success is what I do compared to what I was made to do. And I found confidence and, and hope in that reality and started living from that space. And it's been, it's been great. Uh, it's been a journey of restoration. Hmm. You know, you have a, uh, you've actually made a really good point about threes. And that is that people tend to think of them as, uh, uh, they all want to make money, uh, be successful investment bankers, movie stars, you know what I mean? But yeah. what they don't understand is it's purely contextual. So in other words, if you're going to be a drug dealer and uh, you just want to be the best, most successful drug dealer there is, right? It, it, you know, if you want to be, a, uh, you know, if you're a kid growing up in the mafia, right, you, you just want to be a Don. You, you don't, yeah. you know, right? So it's not like they all want to be investment bankers. That's what I think the right. stereotype is. Right. Uh, so you had opportunity to do it, uh, uh, to be a three on the streets. You were fortunate yeah. enough to take a, a right turn instead of a left turn, yeah. ended up doing that in the arts. But it, you, it's really important for people to understand that it's all contextual. It's all contextual, mm -hmm. where that, how that three plays out. That's so um, you have a quote in the book, and I'll read it to you. Think about it like this. Have you ever wanted someone to like you? 
Your desire to make them like you will lead you to perform for them. You put on a front when a person, uh, when that person is around, and you say the right things in every conversation, all with the hope of being liked. Part of this is trying to win their affection, but another part is fearing that they will eventually see the real you and reject what they see. And I'm going to read down just a little bit more. Um, this proving creates a dangerous groove of falling into the trap of proving yourself. At some point, you will be proven wrong. That's what scared me to my core. What if I'm wrong? What will people say or think? And then you went on to talk about your addiction to drugs and alcohol, which we'll, we'll pick up in a moment. But that is about as three a passage as I've ever read in a book. Mm. <laughs> I'm a three, baby. What can I say? You nailed me. <laughs> but this whole idea of adopting masks mm-hmm. in, in oh, yeah. a, a persona Mm-hmm. And it's like a three can walk into a room man, and you just read it and you knew, okay, who do I have to become to make this religious tribe like me mm-hmm. or this group of celebrities like me? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I just think through the book of all the different groups that you penetrated and found a home in briefly. And yep. in every one, it sounds like you adopted a new persona and then had no idea who you were really. Man, I, I uh, read a, a a while back about Johnny Depp, and uh, and it said that he had been so many different characters over the course of his career that he did not know who he was anymore. Mm. And I resonated with that so deeply because um, I have navigated so many different spaces and places that I feel like it's only within the last three years that I've really been able to piece together. Wait, who is Lecrae? Mm. Like, not who does who mm. is Lecrae to you all. But who is he? You know what I mean? And that, and that has been a journey in and of itself. So it's interesting, by the way, Johnny Depp is a four. I'm a four. Hey. He's a four. So, you know, Edward Scissorhands, that's me. Um, <laughs> and but you in the book, you, you talk about trauma. And now as a therapist, that 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 sends a flag up my pole. Right. I, mm-hmm. I immediately um, that is a shared experience for me uh, with you. Yeah. Um, but I want to hear what you would, how you would define trauma. Yeah. Um, I would say trauma is um, emotional and relational wounds uh, or circumstances that have created wounds. And, um, and for me, they were, they were things that I didn't deal with that I hadn't processed. So uh you know, I, I talk about in the book, my kid brain didn't know what to do with being abused, you know, being uh, beat and thrown in the trunk by a grown man. My kid brain doesn't know what to do with that. Um, and so I just I grew up thinking, well, you know, that's this kind of stuff that happens. You know, you just move on. And I didn't realize, no, that has now affected mm-hmm. the way that you process your your here and now. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's what trauma is to me is 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 those lasting effects from. Um, you know, experiences that you've had uh, historically. So I love that, uh, that, that definition. It, it seems to me, oftentimes, I think to myself, that the beginning uh, formation of our personality type mm-hmm. is rooted in trauma. Mm-hmm. It, it's a response to that initial core wounding, yeah. right? And so your little kid brain goes, all right, how do I uh, 
deal with a world where these sorts of wounds take place. Uh, and, you know, based on, I think, a lot of different factors, we gravitate toward particular styles and types, right? Yeah. And I can see where a kid who experiences that kind of trauma might say, how do I avoid this pain? Oh, I know. I'll be successful. Yeah. I, I will appear successful. And in order to maintain uh, this way of being in the world, I'm going to avoid failure at all costs. Mm -hmm. right? And that mm -hmm. seems like a trauma response to me. Yes. Uh, a strategy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's funny. Um, I, there's an episode on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Will Smith is talking to Uncle Phil and he says to him, you know, about his dad not being there. He says, why doesn't he want me, man? And uh, and I think that was very. That was uh, foundational for me. That was that 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 shaped me as a kid is wondering why my dad would just abandon me and never reach out, never write a letter, never make a phone call. I internalized it. And so for me, it made me say, OK, um, something about me is not lovable. Something about me is not likable. And what can I do to change that? And of course, that's reinforced with abuse or molestation or neglect or whatever that that gets reinforced. And so you begin a process of saying, OK, well, when I won this talent show, everyone liked me. So I have to keep doing that type of stuff if I want to experience value and worth and affirmation. Absolutely. And you're really describing another piece of how personality comes together, which is that the reinforcement of the message that if I continue to do this, I will be loved mm -hmm. uh, or I will be safe or uh, I won't be afraid. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for that three, man. It's like you just get stroked, right, mm -hmm. over and over again. You know, if you were a great athlete, it's like, oh, you're such a great athlete. And you hear that as a little kid, and you go, oh, so this is how I get love. Mm. I'm going to double down on this, right? And then you just keep doubling down, doubling down, right, and doubling down. It's very powerful. It's scary because now I'm thinking about my kids and 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 uh, makes me think like, you know, I don't want them to feel like I only show them love and affection when they do certain things. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a lot of how I was, you know, and, and it's unfortunate because, I, you know, the environment that I existed in, nobody knew better. You know what I mean? We just, there was no tools. There was no thought on any of this type of stuff. And so it's just, it's kind of like you're just left out there. And comparatively, I felt like I was doing great because I'm looking at my cousins and my friends and I'm like, man, everyone's ending up in prison. Everyone's ending up, you know, and my greatest fear was ending up like my father, who was a drug addict and, and homeless. And so, you know, that was my greatest fear. And I was like, oh, man, uh, I'm doing great. You know, not thinking, no, you're still coping. You know what I mean? So right. process. Right. So you just mentioned addictions in the book. You speak about your own addictions to alcohol and to drugs. And uh, we were talking before we hit record uh, about the fact that we share that in common. Uh, I've, you know, had a, a what I would call my pharmaceutical misadventures. <laughs> uh, I've been a, a prescription medication addict, uh, went to treatment for it. Um, I had a hard journey back. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a lifelong process for me. But I, I think about how 
there was a saying I learned early on that was uh, uh, addiction begins and ends, always begins and ends with pain. Yeah. That's so, you know, this sort of addiction thing, yes, it was poking around in your early life and then again later, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. in your journey, much probably to the surprise of some of your readers, not a surprise to me, but uh, maybe to, to your readers. Okay. If you could, what was the pain? Like, what was the pain that you were attempting to medicate chemically, synthetically to, to, to cope in the world? Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to say you, you nailed something there because I don't I'm a firm believer that addiction is not something that 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 you you cure. It's the trauma that you cure. It's the pain. Yes. That you, yes. That you, with, you know, yes. Um, so people work at it backwards. But um, but for me. Um, it was. A, it was initially. It was failure and it was rejection, right? So um, I think a, 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 the original part of it is I had built this idea of myself and, and who I was in the world that I existed in. And, um, and when I started to, you know, there were people around me who affirmed my perspective, you know, like I would say so oftentimes in the religious sphere, uh, they affirm my perspective. And so I'm like, well, if they're good with me, then I'm good and everybody's good. But then there was some some moments where I I spoke out publicly about issues I saw in society, racial injustice and things along those lines where people said, we, we don't agree with your stance here. And I was like, OK, uh, everything I've done has been awesome. You guys love me. So maybe I said it wrong. Let me say it different because I must have said it wrong. I said it again. I said, hey, what do we think about this? And the response was vehemently different, you know, than what I have thought. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. You know, and so then that, that turned into me questioning everything. Like, wait, what? Why? We don't agree on this stuff? And I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't used to people disagreeing with me on certain things, you know, especially when I was convinced and convicted that it was right. And um, that disoriented me. And then then I said, well, I feel like this is right. And so I don't like this rejection. I don't know what to do. Well, now, you know, it becomes more of a political issue. And there, there's there's sides and, and one side is saying you're wrong if you do this. So I said, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And then the other side says, well, now you're wrong on my side. Now I'm in this circle of spiral of rejection from all angles and all sides. And I'm like, yo, I don't I don't like any of this. You know, I'm a three. I need to win. I can't be rejected. What yeah. is going on here? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, long story short, I'm disoriented. I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know what's up and what's down. And it made me bitter and frustrated and sad. And um, I lost sight of just kind of like what was up, what was down. And that that messed with my moral compass because I was like, well, this doesn't, I don't know what matters, what makes sense morally. And if nothing, if there was no rules now, there was no guardrails. If I don't know what side I'm supposed to be on, then I said, forget it all. You know, and I just threw my hands to the wind because I felt alone and, and rejected. And then what the, this is the last piece was for me, it's like the cycle of, um, of shame. Right. So it's like, 
all right, well, I don't like what these people have said. And I'm going to say something back that I probably shouldn't say out of anger. And then I'm like, oh, man, I feel bad that I said that. And then but and then I get rejected or somebody says something crazy to me. And then I'm like, oh, man, I feel terrible. And then I'm like, well, I shouldn't. And it goes in a cycle of like lashing out, embarrassed about your lash out and then you know, hiding yourself because you're afraid that if you say the thing, the authentic thing again, that you'll be shamed and it just turned into a cycle. And I said, man, I'm just, I'm tired of it. And, and that's when the drinking got heavier. Yeah. You, in the book, you mentioned this uh, moment where in, in just in a flash, you lost 30,000 Instagram followers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a nightmare for a three. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you feel <laughs> Yes. But, you know, um, and I think more than any other number on the Enneagram, and people wouldn't think this because they look so confident. Same mm. with sevens and eights. But I, I think that for threes, no number on the Enneagram, with perhaps the exception of fours, feels shame more deeply. Mm. Right? Shame, shame and grief actually are big issues for threes. Mm. And part of the healing journey for a three is to grieve those uh, conditions in your early life that led you to become someone other than who you are to win the approval of the crowd, Mm -hmm. right? What's grief been like for you in your journey of healing and restoration? I didn't grieve until 2018. I grieved nothing until 2018. Mm. So, you know, just imagine I went through life, you know, um, won every award known to man, uh, been on every stage known to man before I ever grieved. Mm. And, um, and, and so grief has been, that's been a process, you know, Uh, I spent probably all of 2018 and 19 grieving, which made 2020 not as terrible for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, as terrible as it was, but, but I grieved a lot. I grieved what had happened to me as a child. Um, I finally felt permission to be angry and upset and sad about some of the things that had happened to me as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I grieved, um, my father not being around and accepted it, accepted. I didn't, you know, I thought I accepted it because I suffocated it and kind of suppressed it. And I thought, I'm fine because I don't deal with it. So I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But that's not the reality. The reality is, you haven't dealt with it because you're not fine. And so it was like, all right, let's deal with it. I dealt with it and embraced it and accepted that this is, this is my reality. And, and, um, but this is who, what makes me who I am. Hmm. And, and, um, yeah, I probably cried more in 2018 than I had my whole life, you know, just being transparent. Some of that was probably due to depression, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was tough, man. And, and another thing is, is 2018 is when I stopped drinking as well. So, so I, I had to feel. Yes. I mean? Yes. I had to feel, I stopped, you know, taking, uh, Zan, Xanax. I had to feel. And so it was like, Oh, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't like this at all. Well, you just named one of my, my drugs of choice, Xanax. Uh, that, that is a very, any of those benzodiazepines, man, they will shut down your feelings in, in a heartbeat. You just go into the soft, fluffy space of flat, you know? And, and I think you're looking at me smiling and nodding his head. He knows what I'm talking about. And I think, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, well, actually I can remember a time I was in a hotel room in, in, 
gosh, I don't even remember where I was, but, and I had just stopped, uh, I had just gotten clean. And I, I remember I, I was, I was just in the hotel room. I mean, I wasn't listening to sad music. I wasn't, you know, I hadn't had some big thing happen or some insight. I just bent over to pick something off the floor and I suddenly felt sad and tearful. Mm. And I was like, what? Mm. I, mm. I haven't had that. I don't even know the last time I had that feeling and I have no idea why I'm having it right now. Mm. And it, it was sort of like something had broken through in me and mm -hmm. it was, it was both terrifying and beautiful at the same time. Mm. And uh, I think that that's, that is part of the journey of courage, right? Is mm. facing what is there, what is. And yeah. uh, so I, I, um, I definitely, um, I definitely understand that feeling uh, of having to grieve and to deeply feel what what is right. Yeah. And for threes and for every type, I'm just telling you, and for threes in particular, grief is inescapable if you want to change. Mm. 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 Retweet. <laughs> How, how does that resonate with you like where does that does that bring up a specific memory or where you are in agreement with what ian is saying well i think everybody wants to change not everybody but most people want to change it's just nobody wants to go through the process of having like mm -hmm. what it takes in order to change and yeah and and as much as i hate hated the grief hated going through all of that there's no way i'd be who i am right now there's no way i'd have a vantage point or a perspective that i have i sometimes wonder who would i be you know had i gone to therapy way earlier you know mm -hmm. what i mean and how would my life have looked um but i can't do that you know all i can do is say this is where we are and and how are we doing now and 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 how can we continue to to grow and to be better moving forward, but you're right. I mean, yeah, I, you could, I thought I was fine. Being mm -hmm. honest, I would hate things about my internal processing, but I thought I was fine. Right. So you just reminded me of a quote by actually one of my favorite writers, Maya Angelou. And she, she says this, she says, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. Mm. Mm. That's good. And I hear that in that, that whole thing about therapy, you know, it's like, ah, if I'd only known, you know, earlier in my life, this, everything would have been different. Right. And she says, let me repeat it. Cause it's such mm. a gorgeous quote, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. Beautiful. Oh, I've had to tell that to myself a million times, Beautiful. a million times. And it sounds like that's been a, a, a huge deal for you as well. Let's talk about therapy. I'm a therapist. So let's, let's talk a little bit about therapy as a three. Okay. Cause I've had three clients before and every type, I probably had every single type in, a, in therapy at some point or another. And threes, I can tell you have a, have, there are specific challenges to each type and there's one for threes. And I'm just curious. I want to probe a little bit. Tell me about your journey in therapy as a three. Um, well, let's see. Um, I experienced acute, I experienced like a clinical depression at first. Didn't know what it was, had never experienced it. Was just like, all right, we'll fight our way out of this. We've done it before. We'll get through it. Um, and, um, 
then it turned into like some acute anxiety. And I was like, all right, all right this isn't going to just go away. I need to get some some help here. And um, I remember going to visit a woman and sitting in there. And I, I was like, I don't know what she'll think of me. I don't know what mm-hmm. she's going to, you know, what is her perspective of me going to be if I tell her what's really going on here. Mm. And so obviously that relationship didn't get far because it was, you know, I, I, I did, I was waiting for some clues or some inklings that it was like, yes, can I go there? I don't know if I can go there and I didn't get them. So that relationship dissolved. And then I tried another one and I didn't feel like, I was like, no, I don't feel it. I don't feel the love. I don't feel like I can go here in another one. And I was like, I, same thing. I don't, I don't feel it. I don't know if this is, this, this isn't it. And everyone, it kind of kept feeling transactional. And I'm sure they were probably just trying to warm up and get to know who I was, but I was like, I don't, I don't like it. And it wasn't until my wife had gone through therapy and she had just a phenomenal experience. And she's like, I love her. She's the best. And I was like, all right, she loves you and you love her. I'm going. And I went and it was just a different level of like, all right, let's see what can happen. And in the first session, she, she, just had mentioned to me like how hearing my story was painful for her. Mm. And that, that was what I needed. Mm. That was what I needed to hear before I could continue. Like, all right, well, if you thought that was something, let me tell you what's really going on. And, uh, and from there it just took off. You, it's so funny you say it. Cause I tell a story about a therapist I had, uh, years ago, who, as I told my story, cried. And I just saw him puddle up in his, you know, his, and he was crying the tears that I still didn't have the courage to cry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's crying on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And of course, that opened up the possibility. Yes. for me. And, and I think we can do that for friends. I don't think you have to go see a therapist for that, right? Yeah. Uh, we can do that for, for each other. And you also beautifully articulated what often happens for threes in therapy. And when I get them, I've just learned, you know, I, I don't have a practice now, but when I around one and we're talking about issues in their life, the first instinct they have is to look in the therapist's eyes and think to themselves, what do I have? How do I, what mask must I wear? in order to win their approval. Like, what do I have to say? And how do I have to appear? And, you know, uh, you know, uh, in order to answer the question, do you love me yet? Yeah. Right. And what happens is, like you said, you know, what's she thinking of me? Like, that is three behavior. It's like looking in the eyes to think, okay, what, what do you think of me right now? Do you like me yet? You know, am I winning you over? Am I saying those things that are going to make you feel good as a therapist? right? Uh, instead of the truth, right? Mm. And so usually when a three starts doing that for me, I just stare at them. Mm. I, don't, I don't smile. I, and I just don't, I don't take the hook. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, when you're done with the dance, then we can get down to work, you know? And, wow. and they, they, they squirm, man, when you, when you don't bite the hook and say, yeah, you are awesome. You know, the <laughs> cray, I love having you in my office because you're awesome. And because you're just telling me what I want to hear as a therapist to win my yeah. approval. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to hear that. I mean, like, I want to hear about the grief. I want to hear, mm. I want to see what's behind that mask. I don't, I don't want to buy, I don't want to buy your game. Wow. That's when you said that it made me think of, you know, the persona and the masks of the three. 
has the Enneagram helped you identify those masks? And do you know when you're wearing one or when you have one on? Yeah, I think, you know, what I always try to remember is that I'm healthiest when I want other people to win. And I'm, I'm, I'm healthiest when I'm, I'm okay with being my honest self, Mm. regardless of the consequences, Mm. you know, then I'm like, I'm in a healthier space. Um, when I'm, when I'm selfless and want other people to win, I'm in, I'm a healthy three when I'm selfish and only trying to protect my image and what Mm. people think of me, then I'm in a, I'm an unhealthy version of myself. So mic drop, boom. Yeah. You, you were just describing where the three goes in health, right? Which is to the high side of six. And you start to be more concerned about helping others succeed mm. rather than being focused on being a success. You, you become more concerned about the team winning, yeah. just, just being one of the, like another, as we say in the rooms, another bozo on the bus. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and at that point, what you start to do is you, you stop being a lone wolf in search of success and you start to be somebody that's um, concerned a, about uh, everybody winning. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm really encouraged to hear that. I know we got to wrap up, but I want to just read one more thing and have you comment on it. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. Because I love, loved this. All right. <laughs> um, you, uh, you wrote... Um, Hold on, Anthony. Oh, here it is. All right, we'll take it from here. You ready? Mm -hmm. You wrote this. Ultimately, my desire for change made me desperate to try anything, even my last resort, transparency. The first step toward restoration was embracing true authenticity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Begin. (laughs) That's just where I, that's where shame does not have authority over in my life anymore mm. when I'm transparent. It, it, it's like, if you ever seen the movie eight mile where Eminem just says, I'm going to just rap about myself, all the stuff that I know you're already going to say, then you have mm. no power over me. You can't shame me. You can't reject me because I've already put it out there. And I, and that gives that it puts the power back in my hands. You know what I mean? It puts the power back in my hands. So, so that I'm not believing the lies that, are coming at me a million miles an hour about my worth, mm. my value, my purpose. I'm I'm coming from a space of 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 you know truth and dignity and vulnerability, and it's giving me power. You know mm. the ability to say, "Hey, listen, I I know what I did. I know where I came from, mm. and you know what? Um, that doesn't define me. And I'm I'm still valuable. I still have worth, purpose, and and um, and so. To me, I, it just, it's almost like it's accountability. It's like a, it's like a, what, what we, what, what you would call clenching the nail. Sometimes you hammer a nail through a piece of wood and you can always pull it out, right? If you get nervous, oh, I'm pulling that out. But when I clench the nail, when I turn that piece of wood over and hammer that nail down, now I've clenched it. Now there's no going back. Mm-hmm. So when I tell the truth about myself, mm. I'm clenching the nail. There's no turning back now. I got to be my authentic self now. There's no hiding. And that's why I think it's helpful for me. And that is, in closing, the journey of the three. Mm -hmm. We know that the the passion of the three is deceit, the mask wearing, uh, the refusal to, the the fear of being the authentic self. And then Mm -hmm. the journey is toward the virtue of the three, which is authentic selfhood. Wow. Which is what you're you're describing so, so beautifully. And I also love what you said. Um, 
you know, it doesn't define me. I think about my hero, Carl Jung's great, great quote, where he says, uh, I am not what happened to me, but who I choose to become. Mm. And I hope that, you know, I don't think most people get that in life, that they, they do tend to define themselves by what happened to them versus the person they choose to become. And I celebrate the person that you become. And the fact that you were on Typology today, Anthony. Woo-woo. That was one of the best three conversations we've ever had. That was strong. I love it. I'm grateful for you. And so I appreciate we're you. grateful for you. I hope we get a chance to meet in person one day. If not, every good thing to you. And uh, on that journey of a three toward integration and authentic self-help. Thank y'all. All appreciate right. You. Take care. All right. Much Thanks. Love.